Welcome back to Art and Other Stories. My name is Jacqueline, and I'll be your host for today. We're just going to jump right into it, so please join me in giving our featured guest, Charlotte Wolf, a warm welcome. Thanks so much for being here today. The floor is yours. So my name is Charlotte Wolf. I am a photographer and a professor, and I am here today to tell a story about the last conversation that I had with my father before he died and how that's influenced my practice and how I have moved between many different places that I've lived throughout my life. So I was born in Connecticut, but when I was three, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. I currently live in Ohio during the academic year where I teach at Kenyon College, but the rest of the year I live in Brooklyn, New York. And so I feel like that really kind of explains a lot here. So before my father passed away, I had a conversation with him where I was talking about the concerns I had about what I was going to do in my future. And so his advice to me was kind of, you have to let more water go under the bridge when considering this uncertainty about the future. And I was kind of annoyed because he was kind of short with me about it. And I didn't know why, and I didn't really know what it meant. Within that next week, he ended up going into the hospital and passed away from heart failure. So, of course, that was very sad, but it was very interesting to try to create meaning out of everything that happened leading up to his death. He told one of my sisters that he had a dream where he was holding on to a bridge and a boat was speeding at him. And so he was jumping out of the way of the boat in the dream. And one of the causes of him going into the hospital was that he had fallen out of bed. And so we kind of hypothesized that that was probably when that happened during the dream. And so I began to wonder, what does the bridge mean? Why did he tell me let more water go under the bridge? And then he had this dream. It seemed like there was some sort of idea of bridges in his subconscious. And what did that mean to me? And I started kind of meditating on this idea of the bridge. And I had this memory come to mind that I think might be my first memory is actually floating down down the river with him behind the house we lived in in Stamford, Connecticut. So we were on the Mayanus River and we were in an inflatable boat, one of those boats that you kind of, uh, that you have to blow up with a pump. And he was rowing us down. I probably, I mean, I had to be less than three years old because we had moved away by the time I was just about three. And I remember just approaching this bridge on this river and kind of just seeing the bridge in the distance and the reflection of the bridge and the water. I never remember, I don't think we ever reached the bridge. I think we turned around before we reached the bridge, but just this idea of the image and the bridge and the reflection in the water kind of always into the distance with me 
and my dad floating down the river. And so another thing that I found really interesting is a little background about my dad and a little bit about me too, is he was from Mount Vernon, New York. He was Jewish and he was born in the 1930s. And it's really important because really different than my mother, who was born in the 50s, is from the South and grew up in a Methodist family. And so I have very East Coast roots, but they really span between North Carolina and New York, which is where this story takes place, plus Connecticut and Ohio. It's kind of you can imagine this landscape. And my family would drive between our families up and down the East Coast throughout my childhood. And my father, for his profession, he was actually a civil engineer. So that meant that he was literally working on the infrastructure and interconnectivity of our society, including bridges, roads, tunnels, any of the buildings that we use for our civil society and use in terms of our networks. And so all the time when we would drive up and down the East Coast, he would always point out the roads or the bridges. And I remember him, you know, grabbing our hands from the front seat, the back seat and being like, look at these different kinds of bridges. There's a suspension bridge. There's a cable bridge. That one's a cantilever. And, you know, why are these things significant and would tell us a little bit about their history. And so, again, another sort of memory of this bridge in my childhood and how this literal and sort of more figurative meditation on the idea of the bridge and the actual history that kind of went along with my father and his passing. I think that this idea of interconnectivity of networks is very important to me and my family. Like I said, my father was a civil engineer, so that meant he was engineering bridges and roads and tunnels. And my great-great-grandfather on my maternal side was also an engineer. He was a builder who got his start in uh, bricklaying in Charlotte, North Carolina in the late 1800s and ended up growing a business into a international construction company, which is actually how my mother and father met was that my father, the civil engineer, worked at the construction company that my mother grew up with. Again, another connection here to the, the bridges and how this was creating a connection between my, for my family, between New York and the South, being North Carolina, going as far to Florida. And it's interesting how this interconnectivity has continued on to people in my family. My brother is a network engineer and works with actual digital networks and security and data. And I would say I also make these connections as an artist, kind of this web of connections I'm making, especially as a professor when I'm teaching a lot of different things. And thinking about this idea of the body and mortality, 
and thinking about my legacy after I die makes me think a lot about how my ancestors were thinking about these buildings that they were creating that were supposed to outlast them. But yet these structures are not stable. And so I have these memories. I have a memory of going with my father to a construction site uptown when he was working. We were in uptown Charlotte and it was an old brick skyscraper. And his friends had called him out because it was about to collapse. And we got there just in time to see the building collapse under its own weight. And I just remember everyone shouting and there being a lot of commotion to make sure everyone had gotten out of the building. But it, it actually fell under its own weight, no detonation. And I remember my dad telling me how rare and unusual that that is. But today I think about how all of these structures just keep getting older and how in the United States were growing faster than we can fix the infrastructure and how the structure of the country is failing just like how the body is unstable and is not immortal. So how do we keep things from falling apart? Should we let it or not? Yeah, these are such interesting questions and ones that could be totally up for debate, but could also be just rhetorical, just gen questions in general to ponder on or to think about deeply. I find it so interesting that your father left this cryptic message of letting more water under the bridge, also just because it's an expression that's used to like basically allude to forgiveness. Something bad happened. Oh, it's water under the bridge. Although in my mind, sometimes I end up saying bridge under the water, which is funny to some people. But no, I just, I find it really interesting that in some way, to me, I guess also just because I use that expression so much, it's like thinking about forgiveness and to to hold on to that or to make that the anchor of, of your life. But I also, I feel like there's a deeper meaning, not that I would know what it is, but just hearing you share your story because your father has such a close relationship to structures and infrastructures. So to say like, let more water under the bridge, I kind of find that to be somehow connected intrinsically back to him in some sort of way, shape or form. But I love how you end up kind of making that connection back to the concept of being interconnected and looking at networks and network structures and how that has also has resonance within your family and the way that you guys think, because that's obviously how he almost shared his worldview with yours and, and thinking about like, look at this building, look at these bridges, look how they tie societies together, look how they tie communities together. And that how that ends up bleeding into your practice as well. As a professor, that's exactly what you're doing in a metaphorical way. You're showing all the infrastructures or you're helping students learn how to build their own infrastructures so that they come out of their studies feeling like, you know, networked or feeling like they've built this, you know, this like system, whether it's a knowledge system or whether it's like through their peers or through, you know, the people that they end up meeting and being connected with, that they end up walking out of that scenario or that situation also with like their infrastructures, their, you know, the builds, the parts that they've built themselves. So I love that there's just these very strong bonds that you kind of create that is so formative to what your father had also like left for you in a, in a, in a certain regard or in a certain way. And all of this is to say, I'm curious to know 
you know, how that has manifested in your later works, particularly in women in agriculture, because I mean, we can certainly open up the conversation of agriculture and its economic or even social conversations or discourses, and especially in it within the intersection of like feminism as well. But I'm really curious to know with regards to the story, is there a connection? Is there a later manifestation of the story that you shared into that kind of work that you had produced after your more water under the bridge project. Yeah, that's a lot of really helpful feedback and and some really good questions. One thing I don't know if this is directly answering the question, but I think the way you were touching on forgiveness is so interesting when going back to like the quip we normally hear of like let more water go under the bridge. And I do think that has been a big part of this process too, is being able to have forgiveness about actually my relationship, what it was like with my father or what I regret. So there is something deeper there, I think too. And then thinking about what he left for me, it was kind of hard because for a while I was kind of like, what did he leave for me? And so I kind of have found some solace in realizing that, and this comes back to something that you said too, kind of how you mix up the bridge and the water sometimes. And I started realizing that I could even take that metaphor far enough to say, I'm the bridge. I could be the bridge. And as a photographer, I could be the one, the photos could be the water that are as I'm pressing down the shutter every time, you know, that's like more water under the bridge. I've even come to find the water to mean just like anything that I do in my future. Um, just kind of like having to wait for it and go with the flow. And so it's interesting tying this back to my more current work and how I'm continuing this in my practice. And so I think this project is not done. I would like to put it out in the universe that I would really like to put together some sort of book or zine before the 10 year anniversary of my father's passing. I feel like even since I began this project, I mean, it keeps evolving. I've been working on it for almost since 2014. So it's almost been 10 years. And so I think time is a huge thing to consider here because I'm able to speak with a different clarity than I could have even two years ago. But I also would like to put a little bit of a bookend on it so that I can move forward in a different way. And so Women in Agriculture is another project that has actually been pretty long-term for me. And it's been interesting to try to understand how it's a greater part of my practice. I think it comes back to something I said at the very beginning about how I move around a lot, but it seems like I'm kind of going, there's some level of, of, of cyclical nature to it. Right now, I'm teaching at Kenyon College, which is my alma mater, and it's in the middle of rural Ohio. And so part of my process and trying to find a sense of place when I was a student there was to start to connect with the land and 
volunteer and ultimately ended up interning and working on farms in Ohio. And I always have been someone who carries a camera around and photographs people. And so those two things kind of fit together with all of my interests, as well as my interest in gender and feminist and queer theory. And so it was interesting to come back to that project 10 years later with, again, that amount of time and be able to reflect on that process. So at first I uh, reconnected with some of the women that I had photographed in 2012. And now what I've been doing is I'm really trying to expand that project to a way of thinking about those social and economic conversations to be centered kind of more around this idea of like of queering and agriculture, queerness and agriculture, these alternative futures that can be built through considering queerness. And, and when I say queerness, I mean breaking out of the realm of what is expected in society and fighting against that. Yeah, I think that it's really cool in a way that there's this revisiting that you end up doing, kind of like how you were saying that you go back to photographing the people that you photographed, I think you mentioned in 2012, so that there are these long lasting kind of connections that you make. And mostly because kind of we started the conversation with the story. So that ends up kind of being the foundation to, you know, our conversation, but I can't help but feel like in a way, the project women in agriculture um, and your kind of expansion on thinking about queerness in agriculture or even looking at like the economics of agriculture within kind of like Western society or just kind of other linked connections, that that also falls back into, or not falls back, but rather like has deep ties to the infrastructural work, that foundation that was laid in you, both metaphorically speaking, but also like physically speaking as well, because agriculture is such an enormous part of our economy. And that's just the reality of it. So I love that there is that kind of like bond that is made, even if it was a project that started before 2014, how these are kind of like groundworks that almost exist. But, you know, then it also branches out into thinking of, about the body as well, like, and about, you know, people and about subjects. And so I think that that's telling because there, you also have other projects that think about this stuff as well, like our connection back to our body, our connection back to who we are and the land, right? So thinking about like the IUD project, for example, like that has a lot to do with like, you know, the body, um, but also fridge zoom as well, like thinking about like our connection back to, you know, to land and to food. I love the fact that your work in so few words is rhizomatic and that even though one might think that they are isolated subject matters that you're interested in, but really there is this holistic conversation that does kind of tie back to positionality and also positionality in regards to our interaction to our surroundings, but also very much again, back to um, this word that we've been kind of using all along back to infrastructure. So I don't know if that's appropriate interpretation, but 
again, this is just something that I kind of noted, so to speak, as you were like sharing your story. And as you were talking about kind of this specific situation and moment that you had gone through, and also kind of the concept or the question of legacy, like what is left behind, what's not left behind, and that question of the relationship you had, and what was left for you or not left for you, and all of these kinds of nuanced questions, but somehow they like manifest in your work. Yeah, I think that's a a really wonderful interpretation and it's very grounding to hear that someone else can see that because it's it's taken me some time to be able to see that, I think, in my work. And I think some of that interest in infrastructure even goes back to this interest in gender and sexuality that I have both through my personal experience and my studies academically. And I even wonder sometimes, as much as my <laughs> parents would hate this to some degree, I mean, we're, we're all at peace with this now, but I mean, I think that part of my interest in questioning social structures and going outside of the box in the first place has to do with the fact that my parents were so diff, you know, so opposites attract in the first place. And one being Jewish, one being Christian, Southern, Northern, like older, younger, like totally different generations. And so I think I always had this different sort of perspective. And I kind of bring that bridge back to that. I think I try to show a lot of different time periods and perspectives through my work, even though it's all coming from I guess it's not even all coming from me because the images are collaborative often but but even then like you kind of mentioned that word bridge like bridging and I kind of like almost like a verb in kind of you describing the you know the opposites attract and how you kind of use the word like oh I'm the bridge between these polar opposites I found just that moment to give me a bit of goosebumps like to kind of almost again not to add too much of a spin or an interpretation or a reach on it, you know, in thinking about like queering and and much like how you define it, which is like kind of really striving to go against the boxes and these norms that are like kind of set for us and really thinking about all the alternative ways to coexist and to thrive within those alternative futurities is a bridging and it does require building some sense of infrastructure to get there. And so in a way, when you talk about that, to me, I'm like, gosh, that's such a beautiful way to, again, not to reduce your practice or to summarize it or like to overly summarize it, but really to be able to think about these ties, again, that you're making in your projects that may or may not feel totally separate, totally isolated, but that at the end of the day, you know, really they do come back to this concept of how am I the bridge in these structures that, you know, can feel so disparate, can feel so like polarizing, like, you know, that's informed both by my personal experiences, but also the things that I see and what I do. So I love the fact that that ended up becoming like a word that you end up using, you know, to describe a little bit of who you are and a little bit of how you you know, perceive a world build. So that was really lovely. And just, yeah, give me goosebumps. I just wanted to share that with you. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing to summarize my practice in that way, because I think one thing I struggle with sometimes is that my practice does feel so different and has so many different modes. And I always, I struggle to have other people understand that it all still is part of me. I think that was kind of what I was coming at before. And you know, how do I connect all these different streams of consciousness, not to make a bad dad pun there, but, you know, I guess you have to connect the stream with a bridge. And I think that's what I'm trying to do. I think my practice is a lot of long-term revisiting. And so something I often struggle with is, is that slow time in the sense of our capitalist society that wants us to have these things ready and yeah, produce, produce, produce. That's what they want us to do. But I couldn't agree with you more. This necessity to slow down is so important in order for us to allow things to percolate and to settle and to really be a part of that foundational way of thinking. I think that when we try to rush through things, it can oftentimes, you know, feel a little bit more whimsical than we we necessarily want it to be. So I love that you allow for time to be a medium in a way of your practice and in your thinking and the way that you make things, but also just how, yeah, how you engage with an idea as well that they're not fleeting and they're really things that you care for because I also believe that as well that when you care for something that you need to you you do need to kind of lean in and to give it that time and that space that it you know that it deserves right for things to kind of unfold and and for for them to become more generative because otherwise it can feel again trapped in that very specific limitations that can feel a little bit stifling so there's that aspect as well that I think is wonderful in in the way that you take on, you know, a project or that you think through things that time becomes really crucial to your work. I've never really thought about time being a medium of my work. And I really love that. So I appreciate you saying that. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, it was just an interpretation. I hope I wasn't reaching a little too far there with it. Just because even photography is a medium, right? Like there's that time is, it's just a weird thing, but it's so, it's, it's there. It totally makes sense. I mean, it totally makes sense. It's a huge part of photography and why I like photographing people and I'm interested in archives and just told a whole story about my family and memory. So I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time again and carving out this space and for your generosity to share such a personal story. And I just had one last question to ask, which is a question that I, I like to ask. And it's a silly one, but something that I find fun anyways, which is what book are you currently reading? Or if it's not a book, what film are you watching that is really taking up that mental space? And that's really, you know, an obsession almost even right now. Oh, that's a great question. So I am preparing to teach a new class next semester at Kenyon called Gender and the Body in Contemporary Art. And so I've been doing a lot of research into the readings that I'm going to use in that class. And so I've been finding a lot of 
information on that in different directions that I, I can go. And so what I was looking at even just today was The Queer Art of Failure by mm. Jack Halberstam. And so I'm really loving this idea that failure could actually be productive. And I, I don't think I really ever thought about that when I'm thinking about queering my own practice and, you know, tried to kind of break out of my own perfectionist ideals that I kind of was brought up with in academia. So I'm very excited to do more digging in to all of that. And another book that I've been reading for the class is Glitch Feminism by Legacy Russell. I think those two kind of fit nicely together. Oh yeah, those are two gorgeous books and Glitch Feminism is something that, uh, it was a one that I read, I think maybe just, I always say at the end of the pandemic, but really, I mean, we're still right. Like we're just living with it now, but anyways, I don't mean to digress, but yeah, I think that book is is fantastic to be thinking through glitching as a possibility or like as a space in, in which, you know, alternative futures can thrive. So I think that that's a beautiful book. And yeah, just, you know, in conversation with Jack's book is also a great pairing that I think would be really exciting for your students. So thank you so much for sharing that with me. And again, thank you so much for carving out this time. It was really special. This was so great. And thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to Art and Other Stories. If you like the content that we put out, please consider supporting this podcast and its featured artists by donating at anchor.fm slash triptych arts. That's anchor.fm slash triptych arts.